Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. From MCIE. Hello and welcome to Season 8, Episode 3 of the Think Inclusive Podcast presented by MCIE. I'm your host, Tim Villegas, and I am literally recording in my closet and the only reason i'm doing that today is because there is a very noisy dog that's barking in my neighborhood and i would rather not try to figure out how to edit that out the other thing that's new about this particular podcast is this is going to be my first solo podcast which means that there's no guests and uh it's just me talking so if you don't like that and you know you would rather listen to guests we have you know a lot of different episodes that you can listen to but hopefully you listen to the podcast partly because you know you like to hear what I have to think about things and especially about inclusion and inclusive education so thank you for indulging me and listening to me I really appreciate that and hopefully if this is received well we can do more of this uh, the Think Inclusive podcast features conversations and commentary with thought leaders in inclusive education and community advocacy and sometimes um, solo podcasts by Tim. Um, Think Inclusive exists to build bridges between parents, educators, and disability rights advocates to promote inclusion for all students. That's right, y'all. All means all. And to find out about who we are and what we do, Visit thinkinclusive.us, it's the official blog of MCIE, and check out our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter feeds. Um, before I get into what I want to talk to you about today, I wanted to tell you about our Patreon page. So go to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast and um, become a patron of the, of the podcast. When you do, you can get access to patron-only posts unedited interviews and there's a lot more there's there's three levels we have 
the inclusionist level, the advocate level, and the activist level. Uh, help us reach our goal to reach 50 patrons. And once we do, we're going to produce an additional uh, podcast episode per month only for our patrons. And it might end up being something like this where it is a solo podcast and I'm uh, you know, sharing my thoughts and opinions or doing some research. Um, so hopefully uh, that's something that you would be interested in. Visit patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. And thank you for helping us equip more people to promote and sustain inclusive education. So stick around. And after the break, I will talk about my road to becoming an inclusionist and uh, share a few more thoughts that are on my mind. Thanks for listening. Welcome back. And today on the podcast, I'm going to talk a little bit about myself. Um, A lot of you may not know my story and why I even wanted to start Think Inclusive or, you know, what my background is and, you know, why I do the things that I do. So uh, this is a little bit about me. Um, First, before we dive right into the story, I want to tell you about the word inclusionist. For a lot of people, uh, when you say the word inclusionist, it has a negative association, um, like someone who wants to get rid of special education or uh, someone who thinks 100% inclusion no matter what. When I talk about the word inclusionist, I want you to understand the decades of research, the stories of successful inclusion, and the implementation of inclusive education, the collaboration, the planning, everything that is involved in making inclusive education work. I want, I want you to understand that there is so much behind that word and it's not just somebody thinking that putting students with and without disabilities together in the same classroom is just a nice idea. LRE is not just an idea. It's just not a nice thing to do. It's actually the law. And when you look at IDEA and you look at where the assumption is we start in general education classrooms, that idea is simply glossed over for students with significant disabilities. And the reason I know that is because I did it. I was a self-contained special education teacher um, or a segregated in segregated classrooms. And, and you know, some of my colleagues didn't like me using that term. Um, but, you know, I use it and it's supposed to be produ- provocative because it's supposed to make you think. Um, I sat in plenty of meetings with students that could have easily been included in general education classrooms. But when we talk about placement, the team had already decided 
that general education wasn't the best place. And even if the team had a discussion about general education uh, placement in, in regular classrooms and the kinds of supports that would need to happen, the mindset was not there. Um, it was already in a space uh, of the team, you know, and sometimes even inclu including the parents that supplementary aids and services just couldn't be provided in a regular classroom. And this is one of the things that I really want to drive home for the listeners, for, for you, whether you're an educator or whether you're a parent um, or, or whether you're a, a disabled advocate or activist who are listening, we need to be providing special education services in general education. And for us to keep making excuses that special education classrooms and separate classrooms um, are preferable or better for students when all the, the data shows otherwise, um, we need to stop. Here's the other thing I want to tell you, and I'm, I'm kind of going off on a tangent, but, but I hope, I hope that this is clear. Um, I don't want to fault educators or parents for making a decision, um, to either stay an educator as a, um, in, in self-contained classrooms or segregated classrooms, or for a family to, you know, make the decision, uh, for, for your child or family, um, to stay in a uh, segregated classroom or self-contained classroom because I am not, you know, in that meeting with you. Um, I don't know your personal situation and we all have to make the best choices. You know, personally, I stayed in the classroom for 13 years uh, as a, you know, segregated self-contained classroom teacher all the while trying to... Um, move inclusion forward in the schools and the districts, uh, that I worked. Um, and here I am on the other side of it, um, with a little bit of perspective, but I also understand how difficult it is. So me exhorting you to make change where you are, I know, uh, how difficult that is, um, when you're in the situation that you're in. Uh, but I want you to know that I'm on your side. And as far as Think Inclusive and M MCIE, uh, we want to equip you with the stories, the research, the, the data, um, and the practices that will move inclusion forward. Um, but really the burden of this needs to be on school administrators, principals, um, special education supervisors, uh, assistant superintendents um, and other district leaders that actually have the power to make change. You're the ones that need to lead your school to move toward inclusion. And we would love to help you with that. So if you are interested in that, please let us know. But again, I'm really not doing a good job of staying on message here and staying on track. So we're going to try to get back to what I want to say. And, um, so let's go back to inclusionist. Um, when I say inclusionist, uh, 
I don't want to frame it in a way that I just want to get rid of special education and that I just want to put kids in classrooms, um, you know, with and without disabilities and nothing will change. Uh, there are definitely things that need to change and there needs to be a systematic way of doing it. Now, when I first started in this field of special education, I was definitely a skeptic of inclusive education. Um, and you may be a skeptic too. You may think, gosh, Tim, I don't really know about this. Um, this is scary. It, uh, it seems like the wrong thing to do. So let me tell you just a little bit about my first teaching job. So uh, I worked as a um, special education teacher for students in a segregated self-contained classroom. Uh, and there it was for students with a quote unquote moderate to severe autism. And um, I went the alternate certificate route, which means I got a provisional credential and then got a job and then went to school um, working full time and then going to school to clear my credential. And so part of my classes um, was to take a um, uh, like a supporting students with challenging behavior type class. I think it was called the uh, positive uh, behavior supports. And my professor at the time, um, I, I remember her name. Her name is uh, uh, Dr. Jan Weiner. Uh, she uh, charged me to, um, you know, pick a student in my class who I thought would be the hardest to include and create an inclusion plan for that student. And so um, I, you know, looked around my classroom. I had, you know, six, five or six students at the time. Um, and so I decided to pick Nathan. And uh, Nathan was a, a, a student who was uh, considered nonverbal. Uh, he had some significant behavioral challenges um, and uh, definite uh, sensory sensitivity. Um, and, you know, he, uh, he had some, he had some uh, de definite uh, difficulties uh, being around uh, typically developing students. Uh, but what ended up happening was uh, through this inclusion plan, uh, we looked at his strengths. We looked at what he was really good at. We also looked at his interests. And uh, I planned with a fifth grade uh, colleague of mine. And she had a science activity that she was planning with her students on uh, creating uh, topography maps. And so uh, basically we would, we would take uh, cardboard and draw um, on the cardboard the uh, the map, and then the students would cut the uh, the cardboard and uh, stack it up on top of each other to make a three D uh, like rendering of a of a topography map. And so Nathan, um, one of the things that he loved to do was uh, cut. In fact, he loved tearing anything. So if you gave him a piece of paper, he would tear it in front of his eyes and rip it into little pieces and then watch the pieces fall onto the ground. And he just, you know, loved that. And he had a, a great time doing it. Um, so 
what we did was we set him up to cut the cardboard in the activity. Uh, and I know that seems simple at the time. You know, it's something that he loves to do. It's something he's really good at. He was very um, deft with scissors. Um, and so he sat in that classroom, in the fifth grade classroom, uh, for the whole segment, cutting, uh, doing a perfect job, and uh, aligning the um, cardboard uh, with other students to create these topography maps. Um, now, once I saw that you could create a lesson around strengths and you could create um, meaningful participation um, in, you know, in otherwise a, a, a very difficult thing to understand, uh, topography, uh, once I saw that in action, I realized that um, inclusion for Nathan, inclusion for students with significant disabilities is possible. It's not only possible that, but once you actually plan for the success of all students, um, it can happen. And so did this particular assignment uh, with Nathan, did it set him on a course for full inclusion? No, no, it didn't. Uh, but it did open my eyes to think, well, if Nathan could do this, who else could do this? Who else in my class could I start to push into general education classrooms and um, have success with them being and participating and learning with their peers? So uh, after about four years in Pasadena, uh, we moved to Georgia. Um, and I started working for a district here, uh, and, uh, you know, found myself teaching in a, uh, segregated self-contained classroom for students with severe and profound intellectual disabilities. And, uh, during that time, the Georgia Department of Education, um, reached out to my school district and asked, Hey, is there anyone, you know, in, in, uh, that teaches a self-contained classroom that would consider working with one of our, um, you know, a consultant on including a student with significant disabilities in general education. And so um, the school district already knew that this was something that was on top of mind for me. And so they said, hey, uh, Tim, would you like to do this? And I said, yes, of course, I'd, I'd love to do that. And so um, I worked with uh, a consultant. Her name is Gail Wilkins. Uh, I can still consider her a mentor and a friend of mine. We, we still keep in touch. And uh, uh, with consultation with Gail, we developed steps um, for uh, my student, and his name is Damien, um, to uh, move from self-contained classrooms or placements to general education classrooms. And we did that uh, from his first grade year all the way to the fifth grade year. And by the time um, he was in fifth grade, he was in general education for more than 80% of the time. Now, a lot of that had to do with him having a one-on-one -on -one, uh, aid, um, which, again, not everyone can have. And in this particular situation, um, it wasn't just about 
having Damien and his inclusion aide, uh, his one-on-one aide, go into a classroom and just hope for the best. Now, we did do some planning, and we did do some um, uh, modifications, uh, but even this, it just the bare minimum of what we did, um, isn't the inclusive education vision that I have now where with collaborative planning and uh, systematic change. Um, but it was a start, and it was something that um, spurred me on to going, I think that there's something more to this, and I want to know more, but I just don't know where to look. And so that's where, you know, creating Think Inclusive, the blog, first came um, came about, and me starting to write about, you know, my thoughts about inclusion, and then having other educators write, and other, um, you know, self-advocates or disabled advocates write about their impressions uh, of the school system and uh, just life in general and uh, how they they feel like they're they've been treated. Um, that in creating Think Inclusive uh, made me realize that there's a lot of us out there. There's a lot of people who want to see inclusion move forward, um, but there's a lot of us that don't know how. Um, after 13 years in the classroom, I moved to a, a district level position uh, and we had many different names, but by the time my last year in that position, it was called the Special Education Program Specialist. And I worked with curriculum support for, you know, modified for self-contained and modified adapted curriculum classes and behavior support. Um, and so that means I did functional behavior assessments. Um, I assisted, you know, school teams in creating positive behavior supports um, and, uh, you know, general support for whatever school that I was at. And I really did love that job. Um, but that was a, an assumption that, um, students in, um, students with significant disabilities, whether you're talking about, you know, autism, uh, intellectual disability or emotional behavior disorders that, you know, they just didn't really fit in to regular classes and, uh, they needed something different and something special. Uh, meaning they needed to be put in a either program or another class. Um, and for, you know, and, and that's not anything that's uh, out of the ordinary. And I, I would say, you know, I don't have any data on this, but I would say that the vast majority of school districts, this is how uh, students with disabilities are, um, are served. Um, um, I want to share a thought with you. Uh, and see if this resonates. So, unless authentic inclusion is an expectation throughout an entire school system, it often stops after transitioning to a new school or teacher. Inclusive best practices must be communicated from the top down, and it's unsustainable and exhausting when it comes from the bottom up. And let me tell you, this is exactly where... I was as an educator. I felt like 
I was the one that was pushing inclusive education from the bottom up. I was the one trying to convince my special education supervisors that maybe there's a different way we can run our special education program. I was the one trying to, you know, convince teachers in general education classrooms that were literally right next to my special education classroom that if we just rearranged the schedule, uh, the students in my classroom could access the curriculum and typical peers and uh, everyone, everybody wins. You know, it was, it was me going to um, conferences and meeting people feeling the same way that we were powerless. And the only way that I could have made a particular difference in my school district was to get advanced degrees and move up the ladder and try and, you know, become a school leader. Um, and that felt, that felt limiting to me because I don't feel like you have to go through and get advanced degrees to try and make change. Um, which is one of the reasons why I ended up leaving the school district and, and now working for MCIE, um, which is an organization that does equip and assist school districts who want to move uh, towards inclusive education. So I want you to think about the biggest barrier to inclusive education. What do you think it is? Is it funding? Is it mindset? Is it the teachers? Or is it something else? Uh, from talking to a lot of different people in uh, various school districts over the years, whether it's for the podcast or just, you know, for my own conversations, I believe the biggest barrier uh, that, that for inclusion is school administrators. Um, their lack of belief that inclusive education actually is worth doing. And when I talk about inclusive education, I have, you know, very specific things that I'm talking about. Natural proportions, uh, meaning that, you know, you, you don't have an inclusion class where 50% of the students have IEPs. Those students who have IEPs are spread out throughout the grade level and are supported uh, in different classrooms. That special and general education teachers collaborate and have time to collaborate and school administrators give them that time to do that because they know that that's important. So recently I read an article on Good Morning America uh, and let me read you the headline. It's, it says special education teacher explains why she wants to be called accessibility specialist. One teacher has decided to change her title and has had and has a powerful message to go along with the switch. McAllister Grainer Wynn is a teacher in Raleigh, North Carolina. I teach a self-contained adapted curriculum elementary classroom serving disabled students K through five, she told Good Morning America. I am passionate about radical acceptance and disability pride. 
in a recent Instagram post, Wynne announced that instead of special education teacher, she will call herself an accessibility specialist. At the end of the day, I'm an educator. My students are getting an education. Their needs are human needs, and special is only used as a term of othering. She also told Good Morning America that within the disabled community, euphemisms such as special needs, differently abled, or handicapable are pretty widely rejected. When we use euphemisms to avoid using the word disabled, what we are communicating is that being disabled is somehow a bad thing and we shouldn't label it or talk about it, she said. But in reality, being disabled is just another perfectly valid way of being human. Now look, I love a lot about this article. Um, I love what she says, what uh, Wynne says about what she does every day. Uh, and I'm going to read it to you. She says, what I do every day is work to make the school environment accessible for my students, whether that's adapting the curriculum, building in sensory stim stimming time, providing visual support, supporting communication development, teaching self-regulation and coping skills, or collaborating with other educators to brainstorm ways to make their own classrooms more accessible. I love this description. Uh, because that is, as an educator, that is what we do. And as someone who's trained in how to do this stuff, make things accessible uh, for students with disabilities, uh, this resonates with me. Here's what I don't love about this. And I don't know Miss Wynn, and maybe Miss Wynn is an inclusionist. Maybe she wants to see inclusion move forward. Um, but here's the problem with promoting and highlighting uh, a great statement like this without the other piece. The other piece is, why can't this be done in the context of a general education classroom? Why, when we talk about special education and we talk about making things accessible, especially for students with significant disabilities, is the thought always, this service, these skills that an educator provides uh, and implements has to be done in a separate place or a separate area. Um, and that's simply not true. It doesn't. I love that uh, Ms. Wynn talks about collaboration because that in essence is one of the biggest pieces that is missing to try to make inclusive education work. As a special education teacher, we should be collaborating and be given the time to collaborate with our general ed colleagues. In fact, inclusion does not, it, or inclusion is not inclusion if if that is a miss if that is missing. Um, because when we provide the time to collaborate, when we provide the time to individually plan for students who have the most significant uh, disabilities um, and we create environments that are accessible, everybody wins and that is inclusive education. So if you're listening to me, if you're an educator, a parent, a school administrator, tell me what about this description of support that this teacher provides can't be done in a regular classroom?
when you look at IDEA and it says, you know, the rationale for removing a student um, is that supplementary aids and services can't be provided in the regular education classroom. What about this can't be done in a regular ed, ed classroom? And that is one of the things that we need to be asking in placement uh, discussions in IEP meetings. What about these services can't be provided in a regular classroom? And if the team can't answer that, or if the team is having a difficult time answering that, um, I would relook at that placement. Okay, that will do it for this episode of the Think Inclusive Podcast. Subscribe to the Think Inclusive Podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or on the Anchor app. And while you are there, give us a review so more people can find us. Also, tell your friends about the Think Inclusive Podcast. Other people who are like-minded, who are inclusionists, and want to see inclusion move forward. Have a question or comment? email us at podcast at thinkinclusive.us. We love to know that you're listening. Thank you to patrons Pamela P, Tori D, Veronica E, and Kathleen T for their support of the podcast. And just a reminder, help us reach our goal to reach 50 patrons by going to patreon.com slash thinkinclusivepodcast. This podcast is a production of MCIE, where we envision a society where neighborhood schools welcome all learners and create the foundation for inclusive communities. Learn more at mcie.org. We will be back in February with our guest, Universal Design for Learning expert Katie Novak. We talk about some common misconceptions about UDL, about how it works with students with significant disabilities, and why standardized tests are a barrier to inclusive education. Thanks for your time and attention. We'll see you next time. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.